The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, July 14th, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco. We are coming to you live from Blast Off Studios in New York City this morning. Happy Bastille Day to everyone who celebrates For over 10 years, Bastille Day on 60th Street here in Manhattan has been the largest public celebration in New York, commemorating France's Independence Day, July 14, 1789, and France's historic friendship with the United States. So all of our friends out there celebrating, happy Bastille Day. On today's show, we have a very important guest. It has been no secret that the Bronx here in New York City has lagged behind the rest of the boroughs in revitalization and new housing developments. For Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens, New construction projects in those neighborhoods is commonplace. But for the first time in recent history, the Bronx is getting its share, its fair share rather, of the action. With me today is the Bronx Borough President, Ruben Diaz Jr. He was elected in April of 2009 and he, and had previously served in the New York State Assembly. His parents moved from Puerto Rico to New York where he was born and he received, received his primary and secondary education in the Bronx. He graduated from Lehman College with a bachelor's degree in political theory He lives in the Southeast Bronx with his wife and their two sons. As borough president, he has reduced crime, increased real estate development, among many, many other accomplishments, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, uh, in his last five years. So good morning, Mr. Borough President, and welcome to Good Morning New York. Good morning, Vince. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning to you and all of your listeners. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure having you, sir. So let me ask you, you were elected to the Assembly at the age of 23, which made you the youngest person elected to the legislative body since Theodore Roosevelt. That's an accomplishment. What inspired you to get into government at such a young age? Well, I have to tell you, Vince, it wasn't my first choice. Uh, You know, growing up uh, in the South Bronx, I I, I thought I was going to be a New York Nick. (laughs) (laughs) That's not Um, bad either. But, 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 um, you know, the love of basketball, I always wanted to play ball. But, you know, growing up in a family that always gave, gave back to the community, my mother, who was an assistant teacher for daycares here in the Bronx, my father, who started a senior citizen program, they've always instilled in my brother and my sister and I to, to give back to the community, you know, the, the, the sense of, of civic responsibilities. And my sister became a police officer, retired as a sergeant. My brother went on to work for the New York City Housing Authority, and while I've had different positions in the New York City Council and the Taxi Limousine Commission, I always felt that at a very young age, while there was a lot of uh, negativity around us in the South Bronx and the Southeast Bronx, that the youth didn't really have a voice. So at the age of 21, I decided to run for a political position called district leader. At the age of 22, I ran for the New York State Assembly for the first time. 
Uh, and at the age, I lost that race in a special election. And in 1996 primary and then in the general election, I became uh, the youngest elected official at the time in the New York State Legislature. And as they say, Vince, the rest is history. The rest is history, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, you know, it's interesting, at a very young age, you realize that the community that you grew up in, you know, had its challenges. And at a very young age, again, you wanted to stand up and make a difference and, you know, give back. I just love anybody in my world, anybody in my life who uses that term give back is 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 quite extraordinary. While in the New York State Assembly, you sponsored or co-sponsored and passed a legislation addressing, you know, health care, insurance fraud, minimum wage, overtime pay, environmental protection, senior citizens' rights, to name a few. How difficult is it for our listening audience out there who doesn't necessarily understand government, <laughs> how difficult is it to get this kind of legislation passed? <laughs> you know, I mean, you've done so much. Said, well, there's, there's someone who said, uh, there's an old saying that you, know, you, don't, you never really want to know exactly how, what it takes to make sausages and, <laughs> and how to pass legislation, right? Um, <laughs> I know so, how to so make sausages, though. I'm Italian. <laughs> so, so, um, Look, I'm very proud of the over three dozen pieces of, of legislation that we got passed into law, signed into law. What, what folks need to understand is that every law starts with an idea. We call that a bill. Uh, and you introduce an idea, and you get those ideas from your constituents. You get it from certain experts. You get it from meeting folks. Or even, you know, a lot of times it's from family members. And you go introduce that. And, and, and I was one of 150 assembly members. And then there are uh, now 63 state senators. At the time, there were uh, 61 state senators. Uh, and then you have to have the governor sign it into law. So in the same way that many of your listeners took, uh, you know, social studies courses in school and we learned the process of how a bill becomes a law, but we usually learn it at a federal level. Well, that's what happened at the statewide level. And, and to convince your fellow Democrats from committee to committee to vote on a bill and then ultimately go on the floor, what people also need to realize is that Democrats um, in, in downstate New York and New York City have a different uh, way of, of, of viewing the world and Democrats upstate, let alone Republicans. And then you have to not only pass it with the majority of votes in your House, you have to then get it, a, a sponsor in the state Senate. Uh, the, same, the same process has to go through the Senate. And then you have to convince the governor, whoever that is, that this is worthy of, of um, signing into law to make people's lives better in the state of New York. Uh, to answer your story, your question, it is not an easy process. It is difficult, uh, and and yet we were able to do it um, uh, during the time that I was there, almost 13 years, to the tune of over three dozen times. Uh, and so I'm I'm proud of. And and not only that, it was the 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 quality, the different types of legislation, as you mentioned, addressing the environment, safety issues, um, uh, civic matters, you know, uh, civil rights issues. Uh, I, I'm pr- I was pretty proud of the work that that we accomplished there. So basically focused dedication and a lot of lobbying to get what you believe in uh, as being the right thing for your – yeah, he would be – for your, your people. This is – your people in the Bronx, this is, this is the way to get it done. In your State of the Borough Address in February of this year, year six, by the way, you said, quote, we've been unprecedented transformative growth – we've seen, rather, unprecedented transformative growth since you became the borough president. We have built nearly 16,000 new units of housing and have created more than 15,000 new jobs. City Island, which I know very well, was named the best neighborhood in the entire city by the real estate blog Curbed. Here's one. J-Lo tore the house down at Orchard Beach. Anthony Bourdain from CNN highlighted the borough in one of his shows. 
Uh, you even have your own hot sauce. Tourism is up 14%. Even the president of Israel came into the Bronx. Unemployment is down. That's great. Nearly 5% since 2009. Investment is at its, uh, at its record high. The state of the Bronx is stronger than it has been in decades. So, you know, million-dollar question, Mr. Borough President. How do you do this? I mean, this is, again, well, that, a that, huge accomplishment. That sounded like a like a, a mouthful or an earful of things up, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, we've been working really hard and and you know the the for what what's happening is here is that uh, we really turned the corner. There's a huge renaissance happening in our borough, and and uh, you know I, I can't take the credit by myself. That's working with elected officials, all of the elected officials in the borough um, for the first time in a very long time. We've seen this synergy. We've seen this. Um, there's unification among every level of government, all of those elected officials where everyone is speaking in one voice, whether they serve in the city council, whether they're the delegation in the assembly of the Senate or uh, our congressional members working with my office, working with activists, uh, people who have been around for a long time, working with, with community leaders and community boards. You know, the Bronx is, is blossoming. The Bronx is, is, is booming now. And, uh, you know, the, the world is starting to take notice that we're not the borough of the 1970s and the 80s, that we are what we call the new Bronx. Uh, people are seeing that while the rest of the city's crime rate in, in major categories has gone up, we have reduced crime rates in major categories like homicides, shootings, um, uh, shooting victims, uh, um, robberies, assaults. Uh, you know, if you look at, for instance, uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx, which Hollywood made a movie over mm-hmm. uh, back in the 80s, you know, th- that's one of the safest precincts now, not only in the Bronx, but throughout the city of New York. I wish that Hollywood would, would, would tell that new story. We've been able to work with different institutions and invite uh, developers to, to do like the Kingsbridge National Ice Center with mm-hmm. um, Hall of Famer from the NHL, Mark Messier, the Olympic figure uh, skating gold medalist, Sarah Hughes, our investors. Uh, we've done uh, pr- public-private partnerships like the Kyrie Lee's Tennis Center in Cretona Park, which will host some of the professional tennis events in the future. Um, so so we're, we're really uh, getting the ball rolling. I, I think that um, uh, people are starting to take notice. And, and to, to, to have that... that um, that recognition from even someone like Reuven Rivlin from um, Israel, the president of Israel, who came to visit us after I visited him in January, uh, and, and to have uh, someone like J-Lo come back and, and really show the world that we have wonderful uh, places like Orchard Beach is it, just magnificent. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a great, great um, uh, validation uh, of the amount of work that's been happening here, uh, not just since I've been the borough president, but started, you, you know, years before that. And we're going to continue the process the, the, and the progress. The, uh, the reality is that the best is yet to come. Uh, Orchard Beach is amazing because I, I, as a kid, I used to go there. My parents used to take us there. I grew up in the, the 60s and the 70s uh, in Yonkers and, and not too far from, from uh, the Bronx. It's interesting you mentioned you, Fort Apache. You, got, because- you have to come – you have to come back to our salsa concerts every Sunday for the rest of the summer. I'm going to look into that for, for certainty. I saw that the other day when I was researching. But, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Fort Apache because I think, you know, growing up and, and even probably up till not too long ago, people would think of the Bronx based on what that movie projected. And it wasn't necessarily a great depiction of the Bronx. But uh. as you say, things have completely changed. Are changing rather. You're quickly becoming known as the man who is going to transform the the Bronx. I know it started before, as you said, but you know you are the man. Specifically, the South Bronx. 
into a waterfront haven. We'll talk a little bit more about that after the break, but give us some highlights as to why this is important to you as the Bronx Borough President and what this is going to do for the community in the South Bronx. Well, when you look at our waterfront, you know, we need to develop the waterfront in the way that it's been done in other parts of the city, but we've also learned what works and what hasn't worked in other parts of the city. And so when you look at the waterfront along the Harlem River between 149th Street and 138th Street, we rezone that. When you look at Port Morris, and, and we believe that uh, this is a perfect area for us to do uh, uh, mixed-income housing, market-rate housing, retain our professionals, provide waterfront access to the community, uh, create jobs, um, have wonderful commercial space. Uh, and and uh, we believe that this could could be not only an economic engine, but this could be a uh, a place where uh, folks can uh, really really feel proud of where they live. Um, and and we're looking to have major changes there to be transformative. And uh, we've done a lot of rezoning, not only in those areas, but at the lower part of the Grand Concourse. Uh, uh, we think that this could create uh, thousands of units of of um, market rate housing. We and mixed income housing units. We believe that um, while we continue like we did yesterday, we announced more affordable housing units. Uh, unfortunately, what's happened in the Bronx in the past is that we haven't been able to retain our professionals. So we've had flight from our professionals. This is the perfect area for us to build uh, without gentrifying and, and, and doing it in a way where we can hold and, uh, the line and, and retain those individuals who are skilled, who are working day in and day out, who want to stay in the Bronx but make too much money for low-income housing units and don't make enough money to buy um, homes in, in areas like Pelham Bay, Throsneck, and Riverdale. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. All right, listen, we will be back. We have to take a break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be back with the borough president right after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back with the Bronx Borough President, Ruben Diaz. Um, we were talking just a little bit uh, ago before the break about the development on the Bronx waterfront. 
It appears that several Manhattan developers are increasingly uh, being drawn to the borough. For example, the Chetrit Group and Somerset Partners, they recently paid $56 million for a waterfront assemblage with plans to build a massive residential development that could have up to six towers. It's interesting how this is happening, and it's so exciting. Who do you think will be the buyers in these uh, development projects if they're going to be condominiums? And certainly, who would be the renters if some of them are going to be rental buildings? Where will these people be coming from? Yeah, yeah, we're excited. And I think that the Chatrit project is going to be the catalyst for having more and more development going there. If you look at Port Morris, uh, we have uh, already a, a clock tower with many of our professionals living there. We have trendy restaurants there. Get a load of this, Vince. We have sushi in the South Bronx. People should go to see. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have ever thought I that? Love it. Like, I love it. It's like sushi in the South Bronx. We have Charlie's. We have uh, the Mont Haven Bar and Grill. Uh, so, so I think that what people are starting to notice is that uh, that area right there is just ripe. It would be an added amenity to um, what's going on in terms of other cultural establishments like the Children's Museum. Of course, we have Yankee Stadium not too far from there. We have yeah. Pagonis Theater. Uh, we have um, the McCombs Dam Park, we, uh, the Bronx Terminal Gateway Mall. So I think that what we want is obviously you're going to get people from other areas come in. Look, that's the nature of, of the city. Um, we're not afraid of that. But we won't be pushing people out. Why? Because there's nothing there currently. In other words, what we're right. doing is rezoning brownfield. What we're doing is rezoning industrial areas. And what we want, again, is to retain our professionals. We continue to create jobs. We continue to, uh, uh, to educate folks in many of our institutions like Lehman College. But what's happened in the past is that the Bronx has been someplace where you make it, you get educated, you get your career, and then you cut and run. And, you leave. and that's exactly. the reason why when people take their salaries, when they take their employment status, in the past we've been number one in unemployment, which we no longer are that. We've decreased unemployment by, by 6% since mm-hmm. I've been the borough president, created over 15,000 net jobs. And in the past we've been the number one in poverty. So how do you change that without gentrifying? You give people who are already here – who are already doing well for themselves, the ability uh, to say, you know what, I'm proud of the place I'm going to live in. What better way to do that than to give them these towers with beautiful views, with amenities in the buildings, like a fitness room, like restaurants and stores on the bottom, quick access to their jobs, whether they're in the city of New York or or other parts of New York City with great public transportation. Uh, It's just a fit. and, and, And you know what? Uh, even other industry like um, Silver Cup Studios, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, they said, you know, they, they looked at this area and said, this is where we want to be. And, and we've just announced um, their expansions of their studios to the Port Morris section of the Bronx. Oh, let, 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 I was going to ask you about that. So let's talk a little bit about that. This is big. You know, what is their reasoning to head to the Bronx? I mean, they're, they're obviously in Queens and have been for a long time. Why are they expanding into the Bronx? And what is it that they see in the Bronx that can help them in their business? This is monumental. This is huge. Yeah. Uh, this announcement that we did uh, last it's week. Very big. I've been, yeah. Well, we've uh, again going back to the job creation. We've done a lot around retail, around the food industry, tourism, uh, the the health industry. But since I became the borough president, I always knew Vince that uh, I wanted to to bring in and welcome uh, the film industry. Why? Because on an annual basis in the city of New York, the film industry generates anywhere between seven and eight billion dollars. That's what a B. Oof, billion absolutely. dollars. 
And in the past, the Bronx has not been able to really access that capital. So when you have someone like Silver Cup, when you have this agency, this this company who has a proven track record of economic development in Queens, uh, they have transformed the neglected commercial corridor in in, in that thriving neighborhood. I said, you know what? How is it that we get them over here? So working with the Bronx Overall Economic Development Corporation, which is my economic partner and arm at Borough Hall, working with the state, working with the city, uh, we've been able to showcase different parts of the of the Bronx, like Port Morris, where they felt it would be great uh, for them to come in here. Now, Silver Cup spends about an average of $10,000 a day uh, whenever they're in production. Uh, and so the fact that, they, that, that the film industry is look, doing well in the city of New York and everyone is looking for more and more um, film studio space, we thought it was a, a great time to have them come here. Uh, and not only that, not only would it create jobs, not only would, would, you know, would, it, would it make it trendy, but what they're going to do, Vince, is help us rebrand our borough. Why? When you look, as I started this conversation, at the negative images of the 70s and the 80s, that really came about because of, yeah, we had our problems, and no one can deny that, but it came about because of the uh, of, of Hollywood, the, the, the film industry, with movies like Fort Apache, The Bronx, bonfire of the vanity. So how is it that we create jobs? How is it that we make a neighborhood trendy, but also rebrand the Bronx? We bring Hollywood right back here so that as they film in our local streets, the world can start seeing that we're no longer the Bronx of yesteryear of the 70s and the 80s, the Bronx of Howard Cosell, that we are the new Bronx. So this works for everyone. Well said. Are they, are they taking, are, so is Silver Cup taking uh, uh, existing facilities or are they building something brand new there in, in the Bronx? No, they took, to be they, they took over an yeah they took over an existing building they they're going to build out uh, about 115,000 square feet of an wow. existing building they're putting in 35 million dollars of their own money the greatest part of all of this is that you guess how much they asked us as, um in terms of go- for government they asked us not even a nickel so this is all a private investment uh, and 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 I think that because of that, it's going to even make it more feasible. We're working on other things down the pipe. Uh, we're looking at even York Studios coming in to the southeast section of the Bronx, uh, which are going to come in. You know, hopefully with with eight stages. Uh, you know, we've been we we thank the governor of the state of New York for helping us out. We thank the the city of New York, uh, and 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 all of this is again going to create jobs. But more importantly, I think it's going to uh, show a different image, the current image, the positive image of the Bronx to the rest of the nation and to the world. I absolutely agree. You also announced plans to build and rival the Brooklyn Bridge Park, a public area along the Harlem River. It seems like a very expensive endeavor. Where do the funds come from to do that? Because that's really extraordinary. Where do you get the funds to do that? I think that they've done an extraordinary job with Brooklyn Bridge Park, uh, and 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 that's you know that's obviously a very ambitious plan. I'll be the first to admit. Uh, but what we want to do is sort of have like waterfront access, and in some areas, yeah, have it more like a, a destination in terms of parks. So when you look around the west side, we have things like Mill Pond Park. Uh, we you know we and, and the High Bridge, you know the the southern part of Manhattan, um, downtown Manhattan, they have the High Line. Yeah, uh, uptown we have something called the High Bridge. I so, was going to ask you about that. Uh, which we just opened up is the is the is the oldest bridge in the Bronx. Is the bridge that that brought the um, water from up from the Croton Dam down through aqueducts into to Manhattan uh, to make the city what it is today. Uh, but right underneath the uh, the high bridge, the high bridge, uh, there's no reason why we can't have a park. Look, where the money's coming from in areas where. Uh, we're going to see development, and you know the, we can have a, a partnership with the developers. 
um, so that they can develop the waterfront. Uh, and in other areas, yeah, we're going to need every level of government to help us out in the same way that they've done for the West Side and the same way that they've done for Queens and Long Island City or, or for the Brooklyn Bridge Park. Uh, why is it that uh, money, you know, it's okay to get money for those areas of the city, but, but we can't do it for the Bronx? So I'm going to continue to advocate. We certainly have great partners in Governor Cuomo, uh, in, in Mayor de Blasio, uh, in Speaker Carl Hasty in the New York State Assembly. Uh, so so uh, the time is, it, the stars are aligned just right where we have great partners in government uh, who all want to see the Bronx do well. Uh, and who all, I think, would be interested in, in helping us out uh, with beautifying our waterfront. Uh, that, that, that's amazing, actually. You said, though, uh, also in your State of the Borough uh, speech, that you wanted to continue to modernize the housing stock. And last year, you put nearly $3 million in capital funds towards housing, helping to build 600 affordable units. That's amazing. Is this a result of the mayor's affordable plan uh, mandate, or is this something that was already in the works prior to de Blasio taking office? Well, we f- we wholeheartedly support Mayor de Blasio's plan uh, for this 200,000 units of affordable housing. In fact, uh, we were at a press conference with him yesterday in in um, in Highbridge, um, where we just went over the threshold of 20,000 units since he's been become mayor. But we've started this before he got to become mayor. In fact, I've leveraged 45 million dollars of my capital funding into over $700 million of development, over 16,600 units. Get a load of this. All of it, all of it, every single unit since I've been the borough president has been built in a lead sustain, in a green sustainable way, lead certified. Wow. Oh, my God. So that's yeah, so that's fantastic. All of it, all of it. Yeah. We, we, have the, we have the national paradigm in Villa Verde. Your listeners who are interested should go and look it up, Villa Verde, uh, we're gonna have, uh, which is the national paradigm in green build. We're also going to have La Central right across the street from Villa Verde, 968 units, all built even in a, in a greener way than Villa Verde. We have wow. things like, um, yeah, yeah, we have um, um, uh, Arbor House, which has an enclosed green roof uh, over by forest uh, houses. Uh, we, through the sciences of hydroponics, uh, the the residents in that in that building and in the neighborhood are getting vegetables and fruits that are grown right on the roof of that building year round. Oh, uh, and and so yeah, so so. But we we also so we also have to get a little more innovative and something that we've already looking into is what I call my green my Bronx Green Buildings Fund, which is a part of a plan that looks into not only modernizing our housing unit but we've partnered with um, a comp- an organization called Village Power Finance and City Council Member Andrew Cohen to find innovative platforms for financing green energy projects that will use public funds allocated by my office. Uh, and the private investors to retrofit current development. So that means that instead of us using our capital money to just do new buildings, we're looking at how we look at existing housing stock, how is it that we use public dollars with private investors, people who not only want to make a profit on their investment, but it's something called impact investments, which they also want to do good with their investment dollars. And how is it that we retrofit buildings so that we can do a number of things, create green jobs, 
by having bronxites put in the the the, the uh, code generators and the and the um, green technology like solar panels and wind turbines, but we're also going to clean up the environment, reduce asthma levels and other respiratory ailments. We're going to incentivize uh, the landlords by having them at a reduced price sort of have their entire structure analyzed and holistically um, redone with all of this green material. But ultimately, what we want to do is, is we believe that if you do all of this, the, 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 the property owner will save energy costs. With, that, with those savings, they can then hold the line on rents, keeping the Bronx and the city affordable. Oh, oh, beautiful. You, you are a miracle worker. And I, we only have a couple of minutes left, and I just wanted to ask you this last question. Um, your opinion on the recent vote to fr- uh, freeze rents for rent-stabilized tenants with one-year leases and to approve a 2% increase for tenants with two-year leases. I understand that you are greatly in favor of this. Uh, I am. I support it. And, look, I, I have a lot of friends who are property owners. And, and what's happened in the past is, again, going back to my green fund bill, Whenever you have um, my, my, my Bronx Green Fund uh, initiative, uh, what you have is property owners, when they go to the rent guidelines board and they say, look, we need to increase the rent, a lot of it is because of their, um, their increase in energy costs, like oil, you know, heating and gas. But what we've seen over the last year or so is a reduction in those costs for them. So I thought that it was only fitting that if they saw a reduction in those costs, that at least for, for one-year leases, that the rent guideline, the rent guidelines board held down the held the line, held the fort, and 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 did a historic uh, no increase. Uh, with that said, uh, I think that in the future uh, we we need to understand that perhaps those energy costs will go up. So I think it's the time for us to uh, really look at this um, this green buildings fund uh, so that we can continue to hold the line on those on those rents. Look, people are hurting. Uh, rents are going up. Everything is going up in New York City except for salaries. So um, uh, we, we have to make sure that we maintain the Bronx and the city affordable. Exactly, and I absolutely agree with that. Uh, just one last question. Donald Trump, and I'm sure you've heard about this many uh-huh. times the past week, has made many disparaging remarks about Mexicans and Latinos in general, immigrants who pass over the border. Uh, as a result, several of his business partners, including NBC, have fired him. What do you make of these remarks? I think that they were disgusting. I think they were disrespectful. Um, I, uh, I'm in favor. I mean, I, I want to add my voice to the chorus of people uh, who are saying that what he did was wrong when uh, Univision and NBC, uh, you know, took away contracts from him. I think that they send a loud message in that we, we are no longer going to accept as a nation these divisive, disrespectful remarks. And you know what? They, they are wrong. These remarks are wrong. This is the reason, and, 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 and it's amazing how he's doing well in, in the polls with Republicans. It, it, it's unfortunate that there's still a segment of the population who subscribe uh, to the notion that, that we have to be divisive, when the reality is if you look at the Bronx, a borough of 1.4 million residents, where 40% of the people here were born in another country, if you look at all the great things that are happening in our borough, mm-hmm. a lot Absolutely. of that is attributable to uh, a lot of that is attributable to the immigrant. Mm-hmm. We've done well here. Uh, the Absolutely. reason why Donald Trump saw fit to come here um, and, and invest in our car, of course, is because the Bronx is doing, better, is doing so much better. And a part of that is, is also because of the over 100,000 Mexicans that we have in the Bronx. So I would hope that he would apologize. If not, we need to send a clear voice, a clear message at the voting booth. Uh, that's the reason why I support Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, that we are no mm-hmm. longer going to accept these disparaging remarks. 
we're all immigrants at the end of the day. So, you know, your, your yeah. points are well taken, and I 100 percent agree with you. Unfortunately, Mr. Borough President, we are out of time. We have to go to break. I thank you so much for being here. Keep up thank the good work the because it's so thank noticeable. You. And have a great day. Ruben Diaz, Bronx Borough President. Ah, oh, Ruben Diaz, thank, thank you. you. Bless you. We will be oh, right back after these messages. Bye-bye. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and uh, we want to say thank you to uh, the Bronx Borough President, Ruben Diaz. What a great interview and what a great person. And uh, the revitalization of the Bronx is absolutely amazing. And, you know, it takes a guy like that with vision and foresight and, and, and wanting to give back. I just love that every time we hear this on this program, I go crazy because I subscribe to always wanting to give back. Not always easy, but you know what? Absolutely always doable. Uh, so it's time for our panel. So I want to say good morning to Parul, to Niall, to Rachel, to Ivy, and a guest today, Jonathan Clark. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning, good morning, ben. Good morning guys. How are you? It sounds so strange to have you on the phone lines no, today. on the box in the middle of the table. On the box in the middle of the table. <laughs> so how's everybody miss this week? You. I know, miss you too. We were off last week, or we had an hour show last week, which actually, by the way, if you haven't heard or listened to the playback, it was really very informative. Craig Stone, uh, sort of a you know a man about everything and a pretty decent real estate agent with lots of good tips and ideas, negotiation skills, you know everything. So call him if you need anything because he's really uh, quite amazing. Anyway, did you all have good weekends? Yes, amazing. Yeah, yeah. good. Good. How about yours, Vince? I did. I did. I did. What'd I did. What'd you do? Continued starving myself. <laughs> I know. You look fabulous. You guys in the listening audience around the United States of America can't see your fabulous host, Vince Rocco. Uh, he has turned a page or turned into – stepped into a new chapter of his life, and he looks 20 years younger. Oh, you look my fabulous, goodness, Ivy, man. Thank you so much for that. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a, a good summer coming up, yes, so we, we have do. to yeah. celebrate very soon. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, let's get to some topics. Better At last, up. both the weather and the calendar say it's summer. Quite amazing. I mean, Woo. it was like where – yeah, I still think it's a mild summer. But anyway, and that means it's time to go outside. You could work – Alfred. 
Fresco with tons of free Wi-Fi spots in coffee shops, cafes, rooftop retreats, sidewalks. Uh, some have pools while others, you know, boast extensive food and drink menus. These places that you can go to, some offer views of the city's most iconic buildings while others sport views from them. Many are in hotels, but that doesn't mean you have to be a guest in order to enjoy. So my question is whether you have outdoor space or not in your own living, you know, situation. I think we touched on this in the winter months, but why is outdoor space so popular in New York City at this time of the year? What is it about having outdoor space that's like, you know, next to God? I think that people, whether they're aware of it or not, have an intrinsic essential need for nature. It's that simple. So people maybe that weren't outdoorsy people, that weren't athletes, that weren't, you know, drawn to running into the forest or (laughs) surfing or climbing or, you know, everybody, whether they realize it or not, tries to get outside. And if you don't, you end up, from my perspective, in trouble. It's part of our essential need as a human being and in a big part of our development. In New York City, we live largely, many people live in small spaces. Many people have to take spaces without light, without mm-hmm. views of sky, without great big windows where they can kind of bring the outside in. So when summer comes, we get busy. Another point. <laughs> we yeah. live out I, I there. Mean, another point is that the city is so quiet and empty starting in June, July, Mm. that everyone stops hibernating after, what, March, April? Because we are big hibernators. We push the envelope by April, for sure. all of a sudden, it's a pleasure to ride the subway. Well, I don't want to go that far. (laughs) It's a lot more pleasurable to ride the subway. The streets are less crowded with cabs and cars. In fact, I took a cab yesterday to Morningside. Empty. Completely empty. My cab driver it's was just the greatest mood. Vince loves to talk about cabs. And it was just a pleasure. So I think that's one of the highlights, too. It's not just about going outside. It's about not being so crowded. Yeah. And for me, growing Agreed. up in the country, you know, I, I lived in the country, so I always had outdoor space, whether it was out playing in the snow in the wintertime or, you know, my parents barbecuing in the, the summer months or the spring months, always out on the deck, always out on the patio. Yep. So you live in the city and you forget sometimes that the outdoors – Nature, as Ivy calls it all the time, is that important for us? It kind of it's like a shot in the arm. It's rejuvenating. Yeah. Mm. We need it. So I ask, you know, you guys out there, parole, do for example, do you take advantage of working outside this time of the year? And I don't mean just showing, you know, uh, clients because we're always outside winter and summer. But do you find yourself sitting in an outdoor cafe, taking phone calls, or, or going through emails, or responding back to clients because it's outside, it's warm, and it's this time of the year? Absolutely. I'm a sun worshiper. So for me, um, every moment that I can spend outside of the office, I actually don't like air conditioning at all. So for I'm me, it's Ivy doesn't either. that we as, yeah, we, as, we as brokers have the ability to sort of work from almost anywhere most of the time. And, um, you know, for me, that, that balance of lifestyle is crucial to why, you know, what it's it's probably one of my favorite things about being a broker in addition to the many, many other things that we've spoken of in the past. Uh, but I'm outside all the time, whether it's Bryant Park, which is, you know, has wireless connection, um, Central Park, uh, Union Square Park, Madison Square Park. In fact, I'll take a lot of my meetings outside, too. So I'm meeting a new client or whatnot. I'll say, let's meet at Shake Shack. In fact, today I'm doing that at 145. I'm meeting somebody at Madison Square Park to discuss you know, next steps about their apartment buying process. So yeah, I, I, I think it makes a big difference. You know, I do the I same thing. I want to say I'm even with... the relationship that we create, too, with with um, our buyers, sellers. I mean, 
we're actually out and about in the city. It's sort of part of the lifestyle aspect of our job as brokers. So. Yeah. You know what I do all the time, Vince? I'll speak quickly because now we've been talking about this for a while. But I, in, I'm in a number of businesses, as you know, and real estate being one of the primary ones. But I, whenever it gets good outside, when that begins in New York City, I book all my meetings that I can walking. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I say to people, can you walk? Mm -hmm. Do you want to walk? Can we meet face to face? It's what I do immediately. And I walk and I meet someplace with a destination in mind where we can either sit outside in a cafe or sit in a park. This is the time. I do it walking. It's so cool. This is the time of the year that Jet and I actually enjoy our walks because mm-hmm. in the wintertime you're freezing, you're cold. She doesn't like it outside. She wants to go in and out. It's not raining so run. much. It's not raining so much. Yeah. All right. The National Trust for Historic Preservation has rolled out its annual list of America's most endangered historic places. This has Ivy Ray all over it. And mm-hmm. it should come as no surprise that one of New York's own has a, pro- a position of prominence on the docket. South Street Seaport is singled out as one of the most vulnerable historic sites in the country. The looming possibility of a 40-story tower and a new glassy mall at the site contends with the seaport's historic importance in the city's early maritime industry and its status as home to the large city's largest concentration of restored early maritime buildings. The National Trust says the new development at the hands of Howard Hughes Corporation would disrupt the look, feel, and low-scale historic character of the seaport. I'm just going to open it up to opinions because if I can start with my opinion just quickly, it sucks. I'm with you, man. And I know everyone will have a lot to say about this, so you, I won't go on forever. I will say years ago when I heard about the Howard Hughes Corporation mm-hmm. getting their hands around the seaport, which I always considered to be one of the final little pockets – of New York City's history point, yeah. that is charming, gorgeous. The way that the village is, pr- yeah. is protected by virtue of all kinds of things. We won't go into the West Village right now. I had my hands in prayer and hopes that they would leave the seaport alone. I'm, I'm speechless. I can't believe they're going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. It was one of the only spots left. Uh, Niall, I mean, your opinion on this being, and based on, you know, the, the huge, you know, rental inventory down there, sales, you know, uh, growth down there, what do you think of this particular 40 story potential building in an area that's so historic and is so beautiful in its current form? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if you, if you go down there and you, and you look around the seaport, you know, I think there's, there's just a classic feel to it. And, you know, if I ever have like a financial distant uh, district buyer or um, client in general, you know, I always bring them to the seaport because, you know, I've, I've done a plenty of deals with people who were ne- not necessarily financial district uh, buyers simply by just bringing them to the seaport because they feel like it has a European type feel to it. And if you, and if you put, and, and it kind of brings that allure down there, there's, there's plenty of towers down there already and there, mm-hmm. and there's kind of a glut of inventory um, yeah. And then you you put a, a new tower like that. I, I completely agree with Ivy how it's going to um, disrupt the, uh, the the look and feel of it. Another thing that that concerns me is when you when you look at you know situations like Hurricane Sandy, and if you're going to put a big uh, a big tower up, you know what it, what it, what does that mean for for the tower? I mean, is that going to be extremely vulnerable um, if we have another superstorm like Sandy? I mean, there's a number of different factors that, you know, that add to the, the controversy. I mean, you know, I, I see that, you know, there's, a, there's an economic 
benefit for the developers to, to do that down there. But I'm not sure it's going to be right for the city or the historic value of, of, of the uh, financial district general. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We're going to get to the, the, the downtown financial district in a minute. But, you know, I, I'm kind of like, and I've said this many times on this program in the last year and a half, when it comes to, you know, the historic aspects of, you know, some of the buildings here in New York, the Upper West Side, the pre-war buildings, anywhere, the Upper East Side. And when you start screwing around with the look and feel of places that have been in existence forever, I mean, why would anybody want a 40-story tower in in the seaport? I mean, it's kind of like, it's just counter to everything that has gone on down there, let alone, you know, um, well, actually, you know, I would add, Ivy, just quickly, I mean, what, in your opinion, is the, it would be the general consensus of people in that area, because you know it very well, mm-hmm. you live not too far from there. Do you think most people would be against this? Everyone or? that I know is against Everyone. it. And what I'd like to bring up really quickly is that there's um, a strong community of not only folks that have, you know, after Sandy, which uh, Niall just bought up, and I believe that the, the development, the rebuilding down there after Sandy was unfortunate. Mm. They didn't lose outsides of buildings. They lost insides Inside, of businesses. Yeah, right. And what they chose to do was fill it with all kinds of touristy caca. But, you know, that's another story. But it did get rebuilt and the economy rose back there. But there's a strong group of merchants and people that have lived there all along that stayed through Sandy, that rebuilt their homes. And they are old school and mm. they are wine shops and they're one of the only original printing presses left in New York City. I mm-hmm. mean, I could go on and on. They are olive oil stores. They are restaurants. And they, they're beside themselves. All right. We have to stop right there. We have to take a break. We will be back right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back with Parul and Niall with Jonathan, with Rachel, and Ivy, who is styling today in a very short mini. Hello. What's that about, dear? Are we feeling very summer-like? We are. Okay. Little tan. You have a hot date later? What's going on? Very tan. But you never know what the day may bring. (laughs) Ah, here we go. All right, so it's our last segment. It was a record second quarter um, for Manhattan real estate. 
The average sale price for an apartment was the highest ever recorded since tracking began in 1989. I, I was kind of surprised by that. This according to a report by the brokerage firm Douglas Elliman. Buyers paid an average of $1.8 million for a Manhattan apartment in the second quarter, an 11.4% jump from the same period last year, and an 8% gain from the first quarter, the data shows. The average price for a co-op rose by 5.8%, while the price of a condo jumped 20%, 20% driven in part by stalled inventory growth and a rise in the number of new ultra-luxury towers hitting the market in Tony areas such as 57th Street, Billionaire's Row, we've talked about on and on and on forever. You know, it's interesting to me how a stalled inventory and new developments is responsible for this. I mean, what what is what is our thought on this? Stalled inventory, not a lot of product on the resale side. You know, new development is popping up, but yet the average prices are jumping and skyrocketing. How is this and why is this possible? Well, rates are low also, at, which is keeping that going. Um, and I also want to point out that 40% of co-ops have all cash purchasers and mm-hmm. 60% for condos. Wow. That is how much cash is out there. So what And that's changing because the co-op market was not necessarily always exactly. all cash. Exactly. And so we Who are to- those buyers, Rachel? Um, you know what? It's not only foreign international buyers. A lot of my clients are all cash and they have gifts from parents and family members or they've just done really well. I mean, Generation C, which is Generation Connected, they got money. They're saving it. They're living at home with their parents and they're saving every dollar. And it's really interesting. And I, I just got to say, I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but I, I, yeah, a lot I, of development I, is hitting the market in the next year. So it may it may last for another year or two. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I, I see it for, for at least that. But, you know, yeah. my concern always is, you know, again, back to the stalled inventory. You know, we've talked about many times on this program why the inventory is stalled and it's because people – are afraid they can't trade up or down in some cases because the inventory is just not there or there are so many people out there who need to buy and want to buy and there's just not you know enough inventory for everybody. Bidding wars ensue and they're afraid that if they sell their apartment, they're not going to be able to buy a That's new a one. one. Yep. So it's a big one. But I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly – you know, concerned about these prices going up. It's a, it, it's not a bad thing. As Rachel said, the rates are low, so people feel, still feel inspired to buy. But I'd like to keep my eye on this just to see how much higher, 20% jump in condo. Now, a lot of that is skewed because of the new development, of course, mm-hmm. and the price per square foot with each and every one of these new buildings coming out seems to be going higher and higher. In, fa- in fact, I'm, I actually have a development hitting the market next month or two, depending on the TCO. And the sponsor wants to go crazy high. And mm-hmm. my partner and I are like, I don't know if we can get this. But then we looked at each other and we said, maybe we'll get it. I am so sad. I know, you know, I'll, I'll always be the voice. I'll always be the voice of this, but to be so disappointed about those that are shut out. Mm-hmm. What's that, Perul? Yeah, and to yeah to Rachel's point. I mean, Rachel, I you know my focus is very much new development as well. So I sort of stay tapped into you know sort of what's going on on that on that front, and I think that this the inventory that's coming up this fall in new development is largely going to be in that $3,000 per square foot arena. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are some buildings that are coming into the market that I think that are going to be well worth that because they're, um, you know, beautiful art deco buildings that are getting, you know, sort of redone in a, in, with a modern flair. 
but they're still, you know, these developers are still keeping the, the old bones and preserving mm-hmm. sort of the old New York style. And, and you, know, they, you know, there's a couple of buildings right on Madison Square Park, for instance, um, that are going to have beautiful views, et cetera, that are going to be well warranted at that price per square foot, like three to $4,000 per square foot. But then there's going to be so many other people who are going to try to piggyback on those sort of price points on lesser condos. And then yeah. we're going to have the same exact issue of all this inventory at those price points that's sitting around, but then completely stalled inventory at lower price points because people who, are, who own a condominium that, you know, that's going to be a resale at $2,000 or $2,500 a square foot, and if this person isn't the all-cash buyer we're talking about, they're going to have trouble upgrading to an apartment that's larger at about almost twice the price per square foot. Yeah. So yeah, I do think that there is, I think that there's a real issue there for sure. And there is a huge scarcity of mid market uh, new development. Um, and a lot Affordable of that is obviously luxury. attributed to. Yeah, exactly. And it's obviously, you know, attributable to the land prices and the cost of actually developing right now. However, it's going to be a really interesting thing to see. And my prediction is is that a lot of sales teams are not going to be able to achieve the price points that are getting promised to the developers. And there's going to be a lot of reshifting of products to different brokerages and different sales teams because uh, developers are going to try to see if somebody else can sell it if the first team cannot. So I think it's going to be a really interesting market uh, starting this fall um, on onwards for about 18 months. Yeah, so I, I agree, Parul. And another point really actually is, is the tax abatement is going to phase out where mm-hmm. we're going to have higher numbers, no yeah. tax abatement. Uh-huh. Monthlies are they're fixed, they're locked in, which is great, but they're going to be higher. Uh-huh. And the abatement is Absolutely. what was pushing this along. Well, and, yeah. and, and the beautiful, yeah. beautiful part of new developments has been forever. The tax abatements, you know, have always been an incentive, especially for first-time buyers or any buyer for that matter. And always when the interest rates are low for those People who are not paying all cash, you know, that helps. All right. On the flip side of that, it's been reported last week that condo owners at 150 Charles Street are taking advantage of their option to flip units. Now, listen to this, guys, because this is so uncommon in New York City. At least five condo apartments priced between $6.7 million and $24 million at the 91-unit West Village project were listed June 24th, according to The Real Deal. The sale prices are as much as 45% higher than the original asking prices when they went into contract. Developer Steve Whitkoff, who has been on this show, will get 10% of any profit earned if an owner sells a unit. Now, again, this is, you know, what my question is, what are the ramifications of this for the broker community and does it uh, impact our business? Because as I said a minute ago, in New York City, I mean, I remember when I bought my first condo way back in the 80s. I'm dating myself. However, there was still uh, opportunity if beti- between the time I sold, signed my contract and closed, I had the option of flipping my contract to another buyer if I decided mm-hmm. I had cold feet, if I decided I ran out of money, if I decided I just don't want this anymore. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to sell my contract to another buyer and the developer in that case was okay. In Manhattan, that has never existed. And when I've been on site, and Rachel, I'm sure you've had the same experience, everybody used to come into the sales office and say, well, if I change my mind, blah, blah, can I flip my contract? N-O. Now Steve Whitkoff is giving buyers at 150 Charles Street, I believe, because he sees he can get a 10% uptick on a flip. But I look at this as and saying, all right, so buyers back out of this. They want to flip their contract. They're successful. 
how does that affect our business? We don't get these listings and we don't get the opportunity to sell if someone's flipping their contract. What are your opinions on this? It's really wild. Go ahead. Niall, do you have anything to say? Yeah, I I don't think it's necessarily the case that you don't get to, um, uh, that it really affects the brokerage community all that much because I do know that I myself have been involved with my buyers uh, when they're they're looking to get out of a contract. And in fact, the way I've handled it in the past is when I have had a buyer who had the interest of flipping a contract, uh, there is actually a sort of a loophole around the no flipping rule, which is if the buyer purchases an apartment as an LLC uh, and then sells the LLC to another purchase to another person, uh, because it's an actual business, that is getting, you know, that's trading hands and the contract is in the name of an LLC and not the actual principal who is purchasing the apartment. In many cases, um, that's actually something that is permissible and can be done. Um, in those instances, um, it has actually been, um, the, so the, sell, the buyers uh, who are now the sellers of the contract have actually incorporated me into the process as a broker to try to help them find somebody. It's almost like an off-market listing. Okay, so Parul, I have to, I, I, I have to stop you there. Included. We have run out of time completely one, once again. That's Good Morning New York for this week. <laughs> We're back next Tuesday morning live at 9 o'clock. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.